0: Of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's a beautiful offertory, isn't it? Praise to the Lord of the small broken things who sees the poor sparrow that cannot take wing. I think that will connect with a little bit of my thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. It's a, we've been in a little sermon series I've titled Firsts appropriate for the first month of the year. Um, We've been looking at some of the firsts of Jesus' ministry. So his first public act, uh, baptism, he was baptized in the River Jordan. Um, His first miracle, we looked at last week, the first miracle was at a wedding in Cana, turning water into wine. And this Sunday, we're looking at another first in his ministry, his first sermon First sermon, Jesus' first sermon was only, it was less than 10 words long. 10 words, that's it. Don't get your hopes up. This one's going to be a little bit longer than 10 words, but (laughs) 10 words. Now, I just had a hard time with uh, writing this sermon. Um, You know, Mark Twain famously said that it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that troubled me. It's the parts that I do understand. And most of the Bible is pretty clear. It's easy to discern. It's easy to figure out what the author is intending to say. But boy, I just had a a rough time. And uh, it was only on Thursday, is my day of uh, prayer and preparation. It was only uh, on Thursday where I, heard the penny drop, and I finally thought, oh, I think this is what the passage is telling us. And the question that I wrestled with and the question that I want us to wrestle with is this question, why were they so mad? Now, to get a full context uh, for that question to make sense, we need uh, to read the rest of the passage. Unfortunately, I truncated the reading, that uh, passage in Luke continues on. Uh, and it records their reaction, and it's very important to understand the sermon. So if you'll indulge me, turn in your pew Bible uh, to page 995. If you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to summarize, since it's been a little bit since we heard the gospel reading, and then I'm going to read uh, the the portion of the passage that will be a a part of this reflection as well. So Jesus came to Nazareth, where he was brought up, Uh, He was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. I summarize, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's what he read uh, from the 61st chapter of Isaiah, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberties to the captives. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back, and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now the first response, and all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and said, Is not this Joseph's son? That's where our, ended reading, our reading ended. It's a very positive rea- reaction. However, it kind of goes downhill from there. Follow along with me. He, he said, Doubtless you will quote to me, this proverb, physician, heal yourself, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land. Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now they're mad. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and they drove him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This was not just, a, they didn't send the preacher a little nasty gram. Hey, preacher, you should think about this in your sermon. No, no, no. They, they, were, they were enraged. They were, they were so, it, would, it turned from a congregation to a hostile, a lynch mob. Uh, why? Why? Why were they so mad? In Jesus' first sermon, I'm going to make three points. The first point in this sermon is we're we're told about Jesus Jesus tells us who he is. That's the first point. The second point, Jesus tells us a little bit about what he's going to do. That's the second point. The third point, he's going to tell us who he's going to do it for. And as we reflect on each one of these points, the question that we're going to circle back to is, why were they so mad? Why'd they, why they want to toss him off of a hill? So the first point, Jesus tells us who he is. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me, God has anointed me. Jesus tells us that he believes it's true of himself that he has a special role in God's plan. That he is empowered by the Spirit and set apart for a special task. That's what the word anointed implies in the Old Testament. People were anointed for a special task. So kings, for instance, were anointed. Jesus is saying, I, the Spirit of God is upon me, and I am set apart for a, a special role. And Christians believe that this is true, that the baby born in Nazareth, Bethlehem, The carpenter from Nazareth was was more than what he appeared. He was the son of God in the flesh, filled by the spirit in a special way, given a unique role and responsibility, anointed for a special task. I'm grateful for a sad but clarifying conversation I had with a neighbor and friend, a good friend a couple of years ago good person, generous person, uh, faithful member of a church, and somehow in this conversation, this person knew of my line of work, and somehow the subject of Jesus Christ came up. doesn't happen in every conversation, but it did happen in this conversation, and my friend said something about their church that was so stark and so startling, it has stayed with me. They said, oh, my church is just not that into Jesus. And I, I just... I was so startled. I, I mean, a couple of thoughts went through my mind. Well, if your church is not into Jesus, then what are you into? I was, I was saddened by the nonchalance, as if there was, this was no big deal, as if Jesus were one of many things that a church could be into. You like potatoes, I like potatoes, like, you know, give and take, as if he was some option on the salad bar. We're just not into him, but we're into other things. And it was so stark that it just made me realize that the church is, to borrow the colloquialism, the church is into Jesus. Christians are into Jesus. We believe that he has a central role in God's plan. We believe that he was anointed for a special task, that being to bear the sins of the world in his body on the cross and by doing so open the way for salvation to reveal God's love for his world. And on Baptism Sunday, it's important to return to some of these basics of the faith. We believe, I believe, there's no more important question than some of these basic questions. Have you trusted in Christ for what he has done for you? Do you desire to follow him as your Savior and your Lord? Is there anything that's in the way of your life that impedes your following of him? So our first point is Jesus tells us who he is. Anointed. Filled by the Spirit. But did that make them mad? Nope. It did not. If you follow along in our text, we read, they they marveled at his gracious words. They spoke well of him. Great sermon, Pastor. We like that one. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So maybe there's a little bit of hint of patronization that they didn't, those people listening didn't quite, appreciate the full impact of what Jesus was really claiming to be but they they weren't angry what made them angry maybe it's the second point what he said he was to, going to do God has anointed me to do the following, proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus claims is his role and responsibility. Is that why they were angry at him? Did they want to throw him off a cliff because Jesus was nice to poor people? No. Matter of fact, that's the one thing that most people, regardless of their faith commitments, appreciate about Jesus Christ, and that he was kind. He was kind uh, to people that were overlooked. He was kind to women of a questionable reputation he was kind to lepers he was kind to tax cl- he was kind to the down and the out he, he had good news for the poor and that is the one thing that most people regardless of their faith appreciate about him and it's the one thing that the pre- people should appreciate about the church the church should do those things and be known for doing those things that Jesus did he cared for the poor the apostle Paul was told the one thing that he has to do is to remember the poor and I'm so grateful for our partnerships with Mariah Center. I'm so grateful for our outreach committee, Anna Beth and a few others, who ensure that our church is tied in with, vulnerable, with, with those who are vulnerable. That's where Jesus was. Jesus was with the vulnerable. And so it's, wherever there's vulnerability, you can pretty well guess that that is where the church should be as well with vulnerable mothers, and there are even more vulnerable children. We should be with vulnerable people like uh, you heard about our sojourners ministry, people without a home, people looking for a home. The one thing that most people appreciate about Jesus, and the one thing they probably appreciate, appreciate about the church, is the Lord's generosity to those who from all worldly standards, were undeserving. So they were not angry because of who he said he was. They were not mad because of what he said he was here to do. So I guess that leaves only our third point. Our third point is they must be mad at him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff because of who he said he was going to do it for. Now, as I mentioned, it took me until Thursday afternoon to feel the penny drop, to begin to appreciate why they were so mad. I'm going to read the passage just again. I'll summarize it and see if you can pick it out, see if you can find the offense. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. He sits down and says, today that scripture is fulfilled. You catch it? They didn't, so Jesus goes on to tell them a historic parable. In the days of Elijah, there were many, many poor widows in the land of Israel, many impoverished people in the land of Israel, but God in his grace cared for someone outside the land of Israel. Further, there were many lepers in the land of Israel the days of Elijah, but God did not care for that one leper. He cared for some outsider named Naaman. What's so offensive? What made them, what filled them with wrath? Not only did God care for the impoverished, the outside, the impoverished, pardon me, not only did God care for the impoverished outsider, but He is claiming that the insiders are just as impoverished as well. There's poor all around, poor widows poor lepers and the midst of Israel into a congregation full of good faithful Israelites he's saying the good news of I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor and I've just done it you see he's pointing to himself as a spirit filled anointed messenger and he's pointing to them to you to me as the poor the blind and the captive God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and it's done. And that's why they're offended. Who are you to call me poor, impoverished, and blind? Uh, Jennifer, my wife, and I have a great marriage, a very healthy marriage. But even in healthy marriages, uh, there are disputes. And oftentimes, our disputes will sort of degenerate into these broad, sweeping statements like, you're blind. You can't see. You're deaf. You can't hear what I'm saying or something general and not particularly helpful like that. And whenever that happens, the other person's mad. I'm mad. I can see. I'm not blind. Not quite as mad as they got, not ready to toss one off the cliff or toss yourself off the cliff, but still you get angry. And they were angry because Jesus told them that you are poor, you are blind, you are captive. Jesus, this congregation turned from a congregation to a lynch mob because Jesus told them something which was unpleasant to contemplate, yet thoroughly biblical and empirically obvious that humanity is hopelessly fallen, blind and poor, captive. Why were they mad? Not because of who he said he was. Why were they mad? Not because of what he said he was to do, Why were they mad because of who he said they were? Poor, blind, and captive. And that made them angry because they did not think of themselves in those regards any more than you and I think of ourselves in those regards. A recent study revealed that 65% of Americans believe they are above average intelligence. Get it? 65%, 65%, I'm actually surprised the, 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 the percentage is that low. I thought it'd be even higher. <laughs> Psychologists have dubbed this tendency to inflate not only our intelligence, but everything else, our attractiveness, our morality, our driving ability as the quote, Lake Wobegon effect Lake Wobegon, a fictional town from the Prairie Home Companion where all the women are strong, the men are handsome, and the children are all above average. We do not think we're poor, captive, and blind. Matter of fact, we think we're all pretty much above average. But Christianity simply does not share this inflated sense of our, ourselves. It does not and you cannot make sense of the bible you cannot make sense of the life of jesus christ you cannot make sense of uh, his sacrifice on the cross if you think you're pretty much above average martin luther began his career as a lecturer in what would now be a university setting and he lectured on the 22nd psalm Uh, the 22nd psalm is uh, the psalm that Jesus said from the cross, and it's a psalm which records these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first line of the psalm, the first word, or some of the words from Jesus' mouth. And Martin Luther, we still have the notes from his lectures, and Martin Luther asked this question. He wrote, if I am so good, then why must he suffer so? If I'm from Lake Wobegon, where all the children are above average, why is he up there? And it was this insight that led Martin Luther to become not just a university professor, but one of the firebrands of the Reformation because he recaptured this central fact about humanity. He recaptured the reality of the human nature that that where are the poor, where are the broken, where are the captive, they're right here, they're you and me. The poor and the captive are you and me, broken and beat up by life. The captive, you and me, bound up in our little worlds, our petty addictions. Who are the poor and the oppressed? They are you and me who think they will never experience the favor of God. Who think that life holds nothing more than disappointment. These are the poor. And these are they to whom the Messiah has good news good news that jesus loves you that he came for you that he died for you as if you were the only one in the world before any of us can have a word of good news for anybody i think the point is we have to have good news for ourselves before you can say anything to the poor you must know that you're first poor what's the point of application the point of application is don't miss the opportunity provided by a good crisis I imagine that there's some of us here this morning who have no problem associating with the poor, with the beat up, with the let down, and with the stressed out. Do you remember how our passage ended? Our passage ended with Jesus walking through the midst of the crowd, going on his way. Don't do what they did. Reach out, grasp the hem of his cloak, uh, part. Reach out and grasp the hem of his robe as one poor person did. If you feel today in a special way what is true for you every day, that you are poor, poor in spirit then call out to him come forward receive prayer at the end of service don't let him pass through your midst before proclaiming the good news to the poor Christians must first take their place amongst the poor to hear good news for themselves as Jesus said in his first his most famous sermon blessed are the poor in spirit theirs is the kingdom of God let me summarize and draw our thoughts to a close In Jesus' first sermon, he tells us a little bit of who he is. He is God's special, anointed, spirit-filled servant, but that is not what made them mad. We believe it to be true, but that's not what made them mad. In this first sermon, Jesus tells us a little bit of what he's going to do to preach good news to the poor. And that's what the church should do in following in his footsteps, but that is not what made them mad. Third and final, and what made them mad, he tells us who we are we are amongst the poor, the captive, and the blind. And while this assessment, while his assessment of us may wound and anger, it also frees us to do what the hymn writer says. The hymn writer who says, Just as I am, poor, wretched, and blind, I need sight, riches, and healing of mind. Yea, all I need in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Let's reflect on that beautiful hymn. I'm going to have a chorister sing it for us, and then we'll stand for our closing hymn. O Lamb of God, I come, I come.